I'm Anthony Kay, and this is Sports Fluent. This week, we're talking with World Series champion Greg Zahn. He's going to give you his thoughts on the 60-game MLB season. Then, to the NHL, where I'm going to give you my first-round predictions and, as a bonus, this year's Stanley Cup champion. Then to the NBA for part four of our GOAT series, Jordan or LeBron. This week, we're looking at statistics. And we're going to start a new weekly segment on the WNBA. We're going to be previewing every team before the season kicks off. This week, we're starting with the Atlanta Dream. Then, in the fix, we're talking NFL. And why and why not the Washington Redskins should change their name. Stay tuned for that. And I'm here with my good friend, Greg Zahn. Greg, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, trying to stay cool in all this hot Toronto weather. You know, I never can complain about it being too hot. One, because I lived in Arizona and it's never that hot. Two, I complain all winter long and I don't have to shovel heat. So I'm not going to complain about that. Um, so I've got you on. I uh, hope that you're doing well. There's some big news out of baseball. You're the guy that knows it way better than I do. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you, are we going to be playing baseball this year? My gut tells me no. Um, and that's sad. It's going to – a cancellation of the season is going to do – serious damage, maybe even worse than the strike of 94 uh, or the lockout, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's it's going to come down to everybody's whining about money. Um, you know, this, this COVID thing happened. It's a reality. Uh, and I, and I, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I've been on both sides of it. You know, I, I was a union member for 16 years. I was a player rep and executive subcommittee member you know, I've argued against my union brothers because I thought, you know what, this doesn't make any sense to me. I've argued for them. I've sat in those meetings and gone head to head and face to face with ownership. Um, and I understand both arguments, but, you know, for someone to, to suggest to me that they deserve more than a day's pay for a day's work, then it doesn't make any sense. Um, with regards to people that are worried about health of themselves and loved ones, certainly take whatever precautions you need to take, including refusing to play because you feel unsafe. Um, my guess is that most people who either have compromised immune systems or live with somebody who has a compromised immune system already live a lifestyle that takes measures in, in, in the, they put measures into place to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes down to, you know, what are you really fighting for? In my opinion, what's going on right now, and this is just my opinion, um, I think the union understands that there was going to be a nasty fight with ownership because going back to the last collective bargaining agreement, you had a bunch of players, a bunch of entitled, snowflakey, millennial, whatever you want to call them, they spent more time during the last collective bargaining uh, negotiations uh, working for creature comforts 
They were more worried about their own, you know, should we have a massage therapist or, you know, this creature comfort or that creature comfort instead of continuing to set the parameters for a healthy free agent market. Uh, and, and, and so for that reason, and it's well documented, you see for the first time in a cup in a long, long time, players wages, free agent wages actually going down by percent instead of up. And that's all due to the stance that they took during their last, their last round of negotiations. So they've, they've made the bed that they're lying in right now. And I don't feel sorry for them one bit. They, they caused the free agent market to be less than what they expected it to be because of what they were actually fighting for last round. So I'm sorry, you, you, you made your bed, lie in it, deal with it. But what we have is a generation of players who, whose parents have fixed all of their problems for them their entire lives. You know what I'm talking about. It's, oh, really? Let me fix that problem for you. What, the coach doesn't like you? We'll switch teams. What, you have problems at school? Let's switch schools. They, they, they screwed it up, and the owners laughed the whole time. They screwed up the last collective bargaining, um, the CBA, and now they're dealing with the ramifications. But what they want is they want the owners to say, oh, okay, we'll fix it for you. So no, they're going to go and they're going to fight. And now the now the players have a big fight on their hand. So the long and the short of it is they're saying to themselves, "Well, we've already lost a huge amount of this season. Why not take the stance now that we're going to have to take in 6 months when we start negotiating the next CBA? We've already screwed up this season. Let's just go ahead and screw it completely up and make our stance now. They're going to take their stand now. This is what so this, I believe, in my opinion, it's happening. So I've I've said this, and I I say it actually from from both sides. Like this really isn't about as much about this season or even the COVID, what it's done to this season. This is all both of them positioning themselves for the next CBA, right? I agree with you 100% when you said, and I was trying to say that, but you just did it really quickly and more eloquently <laughs> than I did. I like I'm a little wordy sometimes. No, but yeah, this no, is exactly what good. it is. They knew they were going to have to stand, make a stand. So they're doing it now. Yeah. And how familiar are you with the, the proposals that have been going back and forth? Like when we see the first one, from the public's eye, the first one where owners were saying, hey, it's going to be prorated for how many games you play, plus we're going to knock off this percentage based on how much money you make, that one looked very unfair to the players. I agree with you. Have the, have the, since then, they've obviously done some back and forth. Has it, are you familiar with it? Has it gotten better? Is it now that is it a fair deal now? And, the, and now the players, again, like I said, are they just positioning themselves? Like, do you feel that the newest one is fair? Well, you know, without, without, I haven't, to answer your question, I haven't read every inch of it. I haven't read it. I haven't read it all. Um, for me, the only deal that's fair is prorated salary, period. If you play 60 games, you get 60 games worth of what your salary was negotiated. Um, you know, the ownership they have an obligation to pay the players and if they show up for work. So, like I said, if there's 60 games, what's, what's 60, 60 games worth? You know, you, you know what 10 million 
divided by 162 is, or actually 10 million divided by 180 because you get credit for service time. The season's actually 180 days long, even though there's 162 games. So go go based on on games played, days of service, whatever it may be. Yeah, that's the that's the only way that it's fair. Then so that, you look that at seems very simple, right? It that does, right? Very, so why are why are they over? Who's overcomplicating it? And and is the you know from the owner's perspective, is it in their best interest in some cases to? Is it better for them not to play? Are they do they save that much money uh, with their salaries by not playing? Isn't the lost revenue worse? You know, well, you, does it affect their TV deals? Like, what else goes into that? You got to ask yourself what's the what is what's the legal language behind the television deals? Because I can tell you right now, TV is what pays the bills. The the ticket sales 100%. and the, the the concessions and parking, that's a pittance. That doesn't mean anything. Go look at the Yankees deal with that with Yes Network. Good yeah, grief. for sure. That's yeah. where you. That's where the money's made. In fact, I would be surprised <laughs> if the Yankees organization couldn't turn a profit if they didn't turn a profit. And this is after they pay the salaries of the players. If they could pay all their employees, their players, and everything else, if nobody showed up to watch the Yankees in person, if everybody just watched them on television, and that deal was still, you know, lucrative for both sides. I bet you the Yankees could still still be a profitable organization without fans in the stands. And there are probably a handful of other other people out there that could do it as well. So I, I look at it like this. How many games are you, you know, how long is it going to take to get the players ready? What's a realistic number of games? Um, you know, to me, anything less than half a season is a waste of time. It's an absolute waste of time. The stats are going to be skewed. Uh, it's, 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 it's a complete way. So figure out if you, even if you have to play double headers every weekend, um, to get your 80, 81 games in, get your 81 games in, pay the players half their salary, half their salary. Uh, you know, don't, don't even mess around with the postseason. Just do it. Um, even if you have to do it in a place where there's dome stadiums, so you can play deep into October, maybe into early November. Um, but short of that, you know what? Both of you dig your heels in, go do your fighting, figure out what the next collective bargaining agreement looks like, and don't waste the 2021 summer. Get it over with now no. and, 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 and make it, make, make it, take advantage. I mean, if, if you can say this, take advantage of COVID. You know, it, it, it's ruined the season in my book. So, so, do, you think, so do you think it's in their best interest then to, as much as, here's my fear, as much as, let's say get, just forget this season work on the cba and come back next spring training and do it right do a full season like that's very I- idealistic but wouldn't no baseball this year hurt uh, a sport that's already kind of hurting from a fan base perspective like do you think it'll be out of sight out of mind or do you think hey if they get it right and fix it they can come back and kind of recoup those losses well a i'm going to disagree with you and say they're hurting it from a fan base they generated nine and a half billion dollars last year. So I don't care how they did it. They did it. The game is, the game is fat and healthy. Um, I think, you know, they could make a few changes, namely the commissioner. Um, you know, some of the things that they've been trying to do to the game are ruining the game, uh, in my opinion. Um, but they're making a ton of money and honestly, they don't care how they're doing it. They're making money. 
Um, oh, from a money uh, perspective, sure. Yeah. Uh, they don't care. I'm with you there. It's, it's fine. It's fine and dandy. The, the, the fans are going to be PO'd one way or the other. There's no, there's no getting it. But when people say, oh, the pace of game is too slow, you know, the fans don't like it, kids nowadays don't have the attention span, you know, you need this. No, 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 no. People still watch baseball. They're going to watch baseball. Baseball is a great sport. It, the pace of the game is almost the best thing in the world you know, nowadays because everybody needs to disconnect. Just turn everything off and slow down for a couple hours. Let the pace of the game give you that break from real life that you want. But it's with regards funny. I'm going to jump in quickly and say it's funny that people do complain a lot about the pace of the game and it being slow, but, you know, I'll use Toronto as an example, but every time Toronto has a good team and they're in the playoff hunt, there doesn't seem to be a shortage of fans in the stands, well, right? It, it, it's always a problem when your team, no offense, but when your team stinks, the pace of play seems to be a problem. Exactly. Nobody cares. It's always been about winning. It always will be about winning. Um, there's some, there's some things that need to change. Um, but, the Buster Posey rule of running over catchers and not being able to take guys out of second base and, you know, you know, pitch clocks and all this other nonsense. I mean, come on, keep it, keep it within reason. You can't change the nature of the game because the attention span of the population has diminished because of these stupid smartphones. I mean, come on. It's, it's a great game. It's a great game the way it is. Um, you know what? Unjuice the balls, you know, stop, stop, making up these ridiculous rules about, oh, you can't steal signs with your cameras, but you can use computers and all these other electronic <laughs> gizmos to, to increase your chances of winning. I mean, it's such hypocrisy. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It, it, the, the fans, baseball fans love baseball fans. And you know what? The game a, long, a, a number of years ago incorporated the, 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 the metrics, the, the geekdom, so to speak, you know, the guys that never, now people who never played the game enjoy the game because they can, they can digest the numbers. They can dive right into it and, uh, and feel like they understand the game in a way that, uh, you know, the intellectuals, the not, the, the people that never played the game, uh, who never could, but now they can, they can, they can quantify things. It's yeah. a healthy game. It really is. There's some, there's some things that need to be tweaked, but I think the game's healthy. Um, I think that losing the season is going to suck. It's gonna, it's gonna do, it's gonna do harm. There's no doubt about it, because everybody's gonna look at it and they're gonna say, "Oh, greedy this, greedy that." They couldn't get it together, and meanwhile, I didn't have nothing to watch on TV. Yeah, that's that's basically what it's gonna come down to. The, the the harm, the harm is 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 being done right now. It will get a little bit worse, but you know what? Look at what happened to the game after '94. You know, the '98 home run race with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Something will happen, and the, and the fans will come back. Because they always have, and they always will. So, in your opinion, I'll, I'll end it with this: um, you you don't think it's coming back? Um, if they do come back, they got to play at least eight half the season, so eighty-one games. Do you know if there's a drop dead kind of date to get eighty or so games in? Like, what would they uh, would they have to kind of? Because I'm I'm worried. You know, if you're going into as you mentioned into October, is okay, but if you're going into November or later. You can't. It's tough to play outdoors when there's snowfall. Like you're gonna right. have to that's, do something. Well, that's why you you make certain concessions. So, 81 games. This is this would be assuming they never had a day off. And, and if you ask me, there's way too many days off, anyways. So let's say that they. It would take 11 and a half weeks to round it up to 12. 
take four, four, uh, 12 weeks to play 81 games. So that's three months. So let's say August, September, October. And then you move, and, and we haven't even talked about getting into July. They could probably be ready to go mid-July. You know, and I might be a little aggressive when I say um, 81 games, but I did say I wanted to see doubleheaders. They should be playing one doubleheader um, every single weekend if you're going to do this right. So you talk about you know, playing, you know, get one day off a month, play, get, get, get yourself uh, an extra game every weekend. You might be able to do this in three months, and then you, you do a shortened playoff system um, and, and giddy up. But you got you're probably going to have to do it in a place like Tampa, um, Toronto with a dome, some place with a retractable dome. You might be able to get away with it in Seattle. I'm trying to say who else has a dome stadium these days. Um, but that's what, that you, you might have to make certain concessions yeah. about, about it because you, because of weather. Plain and simple. Right. If you really want to make it happen, cool, then do it. But you're saying, but yeah, so 80 games, double hundreds every week, one day off a month. We're trying to give the solution. We'll, we'll send it in to Rob. Um, and maybe the playoffs just go back to what, like division winners? Eliminate some of those extra wild cards so you can yeah. shorten it a bit? Yeah. Yeah. You, well, okay. see, and what I would do, and, and they've already started going towards this, and this is what my plan for the entire – I've been talking about this plan forever. Get rid of the, get rid of the uh, pitchers hitting, DH in both leagues, balance the schedules, so that you don't have interleague play anymore, because interleague play is significant with regards to wild cards and all that other stuff. But yeah. you balance the schedule. Everybody, everybody has a DH, and then all of a sudden, at the end of the year, you have a very, very justified scenario where everybody's played the teams the same amount of times, so that it's a fair schedule. Yeah. And then you know it's just straight up division winners, and this year would be the ideal place to do that. In fact. You could give every team, you know, do do the National League off on Wednesdays, do do the uh, American League off on Thursdays, uh, take take a day off every single week, but you make up for it with a doubleheader on Saturday or Sunday, and you get your games back, and then you're done in three months. You get your 80 games in three months. Maybe you want to, you want to drop it down to 70, 72 games. Okay, drop it down to 72 games, but you'd still do it in three months easily. Yeah, I think the last one. I think the last one I saw was like sixty-two, yeah. and uh, yeah, you're right. That you're you're getting you're getting almost too short. Then uh, if you're going if you're going, I don't think you can go any less than that for sure. Well, but. let's let's assume that we could do. We got to go back to sixteen teams and, and and fourteen teams because we we have to we have to balance the schedule and and give them an e- even number of games. Let's call it seventy-two. So you get seventy-two games to play. Against sixteen or against fifteen other teams. So one second here, I've, I've got my trusty calculator out. Seventy-two <laughs> games divided by um, seventy-two games divided by fifteen. That leaves you four point eight games against each team. So it's it's a home and away. You know, one 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 series is a two, yep. the other one's a three, and there you go. And then on the fourteen side, if you do uh, seventy-two games divided by um, 13 teams because that's the opposition you're looking at basically a, a three a three and a three or a, a three and a four could be so mm. it, it's it could be done it could be done easily but you got to balance the schedule you got to get rid of the you got to get rid of pitchers hitting you can't do interleague play um all those kind of things would be uh disastrous to try to figure out because you know even even if you go with status quo you, you may not play 
a team that's in your league at all. You may not play them with this short yeah. season. Yeah. You know, if you if you just basically start the season based on what they've already calculated, you might you might miss the best team. Like the, the Toronto Blue Jays may only have to play the Yankees three times. Which how can you how can you determine a true division winner if you're yeah. not playing the best team an an equitable number of times opponents? A lot. Well, I guess that's why they're they're paid the big bucks. They're gonna hopefully figure it out and. So, um, so I'm, I do want to ask you. Sorry, two more questions. Sorry if you have a, a yeah. quick time. Um, the one, one is going to be about so the the you know the app the big players right the superstars who get paid the money this season. If it doesn't happen, we're going to assume they're going to be okay. How does this affect the you know the younger guys or the the minimum salary guys or you know the ones that are just they're just trying to come up? Do they does it will it hurt them a lot to kind of miss this season, whether it be from a financial standpoint or from a baseball standpoint? How does how does it affect them? Well, look, you're not playing, not missing a full year. Um, I can think of a bunch of guys, and I could I could tell you this from my own personal standpoint, um, missing a year in the middle of my career when I was you know injured and coming off the surgery would have been a blessing in disguise. So a lot of different ways to look at. It. There's some guys that probably could use the break. Um, there are some guys that uh, definitely are at the pinnacle of their career that are going into free agency, like like a guy like Mookie Betts. I think he has one more year left on his deal. He's with the Dodgers. How, how are you going to be able to truly gauge what he deserves as a free agent with, with having not played this year? Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to well, seriously would, wreck the free agent market. Would they, if they don't play the year, would they carry it over? Or, no, or, no, 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 no. Those guys become free agents immediately. Oh wow! Yeah. Which means, which means that you know all the pros, the, the players that they sent back to Boston, who were are still under under team control, that ends up being a tremendous deal for the Dodgers because they, or excuse me, the Red Sox because the they still have players under control. The Dodgers yeah, are the ones that end up basically hosed. Exactly, yeah. they got they got them for nothing, and you're gonna lose you're gonna lose Mookie Betts anyway. Well, unless you resign him because he wants to be there, but who who knows yeah. based on yeah. Um, all right, so I'll I'll leave it off with uh, with your stuff. So the Greg's on Baseball Academy. How are things going there? Well, we're you know we're we're doing COVID, the same things. That, yeah, we're, are you doing any kind of virtual training? Have you kind of gone that route? No, I've, I've got I've got my own training app. I've got my everything. I've got hours and hours and hours of of baseball instruction, fitness instruction, mental skills training. All of it's online. It's it's, it's prepackaged, ready to go. I can adjust it to you know all levels of, of playing and coaching. Uh, my team. I've I've done a ton of virtual stuff. We do weekly Zoom meetings. Um, they have access to the app, so when they when they're you know hitting off the tee or they're you know doing their throwing work. They, they send me videos every every week, you know, via Instagram chat or whatever. We're, we've we've taken advantage of all the technology, um, and you know, we, I've been able to coach them from a distance all throughout this whole thing. And believe it or not, a lot of them have made some huge progress, which is great. It's just a matter of reps and and you know, educated, watchful eyes. I've I've, I've not stopped coaching these kids for one second. Um, we took our March break and COVID madness happened and, and 
I continued to hold these boys accountable. Uh, they hold each other accountable. They get their work in. Uh, they, they're present and send it, send it to me. Um, and it's great. So I've been able to continue, continue coaching these kids. I can't even imagine what would have, what, what would have happened, you know, prior to the internet. That would have been, you know, a disaster for these boys. That, coach, yeah. You know, when you, when you're, when you're learning something new, you need a coach to keep his eyes on you to make sure that you don't get off track. You know, one bad rep turns into two and then four and then eight and then 16. And before you know it, you've created a bad habit. Whereas, you know, I don't let one bad swing or one, one bad throw. Um, I don't let it sneak by without some sort of commentary. It's, it's okay. Right. Did you feel that? You know, do you understand what you did right, wrong? Let's fix it. And baseball is a repetition thing. You got to do it. And, and I, I tell my kids every single repetition is like you're putting a brick on the wall. You start from scratch and you put a brick on the wall. Every improper repetition that you do, you got to pull one off. And it takes 1,500 perfect repetitions for something to become a reaction. Do you think that for some of your players, or for guys just in general, COVID, for those kind of working on their skills, has it, I hate to say it, but like a blessing in disguise where they've been able to really focus because there's obviously less distractions right now? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, shouldn't say distractions. Uh, look, there's, there's exceptions to the rule, but there's – yeah, Fortnite. That's the exception of the rule. These little yeah. boogers, uh, all they do is play Fortnite, and they, you know, they Instagram each other and do all this non TikTok stuff. I don't even know what the heck. Like, video, video games? What the heck are those? Uh, no, but what, what I told my players, because I'm, I'm I'm very upfront with them. I said, look, Canadian baseball players are a minimum of a year, most likely two years behind the Americans and the and and the Latin American players with regard to their player development. I said. You guys have an opportunity in a stress-free environment, meaning you're not trying to make a team because you already made the team. You're not trying to, to win a game because there is no game. You have an opportunity here to undo years of bad habits, to retrain your body to react in a proper way, take advantage of it. You yeah. have an opportunity to be in the best best fit shape of your life when this COVID thing breaks and we get back to work. Take advantage of the opportunity. I basically told him, I said, you don't have to go to school. You probably don't have to do chores because most of the kids I know these days don't even know what chores are. So I said, take advantage of it. You are a professional athlete right now. Your body and your mind are your job. Make it happen. And, and most of my kids have said, okay, I'll take that challenge. And they've done some positive things. That's, that's, that's great to hear. And let's end it on a positive. Uh, on that note, Greg, man, I appreciate your time. Um, as always, thank you so much. My pleasure. It's time to make the podcast a little bit colder. We're going to jump on the ice with my NHL predictions. I'm going to give you the two teams that are matched up and who I think will be the winner. Feel free to send me your comments and who you think will win. But as a bonus, I'm also going to give you my final four and who I think will come out on top as this year's Stanley Cup champion. Kicking off the predictions, I want to remind you that this first round is going to be five-game series. We're going to start in one of the hub cities with the Edmonton Oilers facing the Chicago Blackhawks. The Blackhawks took two of three against the Oilers 
But that regular season was a long time ago. And those games were pretty high scoring and kind of ugly. But I think this time around, you're going to see the Edmonton Oilers being able to knock out the Chicago Blackhawks. From there, we're moving to Nashville and Arizona. In a lot of these series, you're going to hear me talk about it coming down to defense and goaltending. And in this case, Arizona has the better defense by far. And I think they get the slight edge in net as well. So I'm taking the Arizona Coyotes to upset the Nashville Predators. To Vancouver, where the Canucks take on the Minnesota Wild. Both teams are high scoring. But again, I give the edge in net and on defense to the Minnesota Wild. So look for them to come out of that series. To Winnipeg and Calgary. I got to tell you, I was on the phone with Brad Ralston out of Calgary, and he guaranteed me that the Flames would beat the Jets in this round. So although I love my Jet fans, I'm going to go with Calgary. But not just because Brad said so, because I think their penalty killing is probably one of the best, if not the best, in the league, and their edge and net will give them enough to get by the Jets in the first round. The next series, I think, is the one that you can put your money on who's going to go five games. The Florida Panthers against the New York Islanders. I don't like Bobrovsky and Net. I think he's inconsistent for the Panthers, and I think that will give the Islanders enough chances to score to win this tight series against Florida. To my hometown and another one of the hub cities. I don't think in hockey the home ice advantage plays as big a role as it does in some other sports, but I have a feeling about Toronto this time around against Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they're a more well-rounded team. I think they have more offensive power than Columbus does. And I'm going to tell you, don't be surprised if you see an outstanding series from the Leafs goaltender, Frederick Anderson. Look for Toronto to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets in that matchup. Montreal and Pittsburgh. Well, I want to root for the Canadians, but I just think Pittsburgh is too powerful and too experienced this year. And I think you're probably going to see a sweep in that one. Maybe Montreal can steal one game if they're if they're lucky. Lastly, the New York Rangers against the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes are solid in net. And you know how I feel about good goaltending. I'm looking for Carolina. I really liking Carolina in this matchup. So look for the Hurricanes to beat the Rangers. Now, I promised you some bonus coverage. So my final four, Colorado, Boston, Philadelphia, and Vegas. And if I'm giving you a way too early Stanley Cup pick, I'm going with the Colorado Avalanche. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Next up is part four of the debate I never wanted to have, but you pushed me and you pushed me, so now we're talking about it. Part four of Jordan vs. LeBron, we dive into statistics. Now this is one where it gets a little bit tricky, because when we're talking about statistics, 
it's a little bit relative. So let's go through the raw data first. Points. We know Michael Jordan had over 30 points per game. He leads it there. LeBron gets the edge in assists and rebounds, where he averaged about seven and a half versus Jordan's five and a half and six. Steals and blocks actually both go to Jordan, two and a half, one. And field goal percentage goes to LeBron at 50%, just over 50%, where Michael Jordan was just under 50%. Free throws by a wide margin, Jordan 10 points better. And turnovers, where Jordan had about one less per game. Now, here's why it gets tricky. We're going to dive into context. So LeBron James is a six foot eight, 260 pound small forward slash power forward. He should get more rebounds. LeBron also brings up the ball and handled the ball more than Michael Jordan did. So he's probably going to have more turnovers. So we're going to dive into those statistics a little bit deeper. Let's start with the rebounds. So as I said, LeBron averaged 7.4, where Jordan averaged 6.2. So you're going to say, well, LeBron's the better rebounder. However, let's add context like size and position. A shooting guard is less likely to be in a position to rebound versus a small forward or power forward. I bring the example of uh, Brooke Lopez, who averages 6.4 rebounds per game for his career. And Jason Kidd who averaged 6.3 rebounds per game. That's a center versus a point guard. So although statistically Lopez has the edge, I think we could all agree, based on context of position, Jason Kidd was probably the better rebounder. The next up that we want to look at is shooting percentage. So when we look at shooting percentage, Michael Jordan is just behind LeBron James, 49.7% versus 50.4%. However, again, context. If you look at the best shooting percentages in the league history, you have guys like DeAndre Jordan and Tyson Chandler, who are first and I believe fourth, but that's because most of their shots were inside of a foot or they were dunks. So of course they're going to close or going to have a higher shooting percentage. If you take a look at LeBron James and you take out shots outside of three feet, so basically we're eliminating the dunks and easy layups on fast breaks, in the regular season, he shot 37.5%. In the playoffs, 35.9%. That's very, very low. There's no portion of Michael Jordan's game where he ever shot that low. In fact, when you look at LeBron's shooting percentages outside of three feet through the years, it's 37, starting in 2014-2015, uh, it's 37, 35, 37, 37, 35, 36. He is not a great outside or mid-range shooter. So those are things we got to look at when we're looking at statistics. Now, if you want to dive into more advanced analytics and we start looking at player efficiency rating, well, Jordan led the league seven times in efficiency. He was in the top three ten times at regular season, 27.9 was first, playoffs 28.6 ranked him first versus LeBron, six times led the league, nine times was in the top three, 
and 27 and 23 put him in, in second place in both of those categories. Win share. Jordan led the league in win share eight times to LeBron's five. Top three, Jordan was there 11 times, LeBron six. During the regular season, 2505, which puts him at first, this is Jordan, and 2553, or .2553, which puts him in first, LeBron 2345, which would have put him in sixth in that category, and .2436, which would have put him third in wins per 48 in playoffs, 48 per 48 minutes, excuse me, in the playoffs. I know, I have a lot of statistics to go through, so if I seemed a little rushed, I'll try to slow myself down. And I'll get to the point eventually, I promise. So, box plus minus. Jordan led the league 10 times versus LeBron's 5. He was in the top 3 11 times to LeBron's 10. In the regular season, 9.22, which ranks him first. In the playoffs, 11.14, which ranks him first. LeBron, 8.94, 10.16, both ranking second to Michael Jordan. What about value over replacement? Here's where LeBron gets the edge. Both led the league nine times. Top three, Jordan 11, LeBron James 13. In the regular season uh, and playoffs, Jordan is second to LeBron um, in both of those categories, regular season and the playoffs. But again, when we look at value over replacement, that's where some of the longevity comes into play. LeBron played longer, so he had more opportunities to lead the league. If you look at the top uh, value over replacement seasons, however, Jordan owns five of the top seven. LeBron has one. So whose career was better statistically when it comes to value over replacement? If we look at it from a per-game standpoint versus a total career standpoint, it's actually Jordan who is first in both regular season and playoffs when it's value over replacement per game. Then to some more statistics in the regular season per Jordan first playoffs first win shares per 48 regular season Jordan first playoffs first box plus minus regular season Jordan one playoffs Jordan one value over replacement per game Jordan one in the regular season and the playoffs. When we look at it within context, as I mentioned before, when we're looking at statistics based on your position. So rank among small forwards. Look, where does LeBron finish? In terms of points, he's second. Assists, he's first. Rebounds, 12th. Steals, ninth. Blocks and field goal percentage, 17th. And free throw percentage, 100 and seventh. However, when we compare that to Michael Jordan versus other shooting guards, Jordan is first in points, fourth in assists, third in rebounds, third in steals, third in blocks, ninth in field goal percentage, and 34th in free throw percentage. So again, head-to-head is different than when you're comparing them to players of their own position. Jordan, again, gets the clear edge. That being said, when we look at the overall statistics of who statistically was the better player overall when we're including shooting and defense and rebounds and assists, and we're putting it into context because that's very important. 
Michael Jordan gets the edge and now leads the series three to one. Next week, we're going to dive into the most difficult one, but I think one of the most important. It's the eye test. And why is that so important? It's tough for people to talk about a player that they've never actually seen play in their era. I have a hard time. I have the most respect for Wilt Chamberlain, but I never got to see him play. I'm very lucky. I got to see Bird and Magic and Kobe and Jordan and LeBron. So we're going to dive into what makes the eye test so important and who gets the edge there. Join me next week for that conversation. This week, I'm introducing a new series where I preview a WNBA team in preparation for the upcoming WNBA season. This week, we're starting with my daughter's favorite team, the Atlanta Dream. The Atlanta Dream finished last last season and should have had an opportunity for the number one overall pick. Because if you're going to finish last, the reward is getting the first overall pick to help boost your team in the upcoming season. So by finishing 8-26 in 2019, you would think they'd have the first overall pick, they would pick Sabrina Ionescu, and they'd have a great chance to rebuild. Unfortunately, the ping pong balls did not work in their favor. Not only did they fall out of first, but they actually fell out of the top three. This year's draft was heavy on the top three picks, not as great after that. And where did they go? To the fourth overall pick. So that was a little tough for them to deal with. Instead of getting the first overall pick, as we thought they would, they've had to retool with some different players that were either behind some other starters on their existing teams or just were looking for a new opportunity or a change of scenery. And that's where some of their pickups come into play. They started by adding six foot seven Kalani Brown from the Los Angeles Sparks. The Sparks are loaded in the front court, and Kalani was having difficulty getting minutes. So it's the perfect opportunity for her to show what she can do. They then picked up free agent Gloria Johnson from Dallas and Courtney Williams from the Connecticut Sun. I think Courtney Williams is the one that's going to help the most because this team was. Not great at scoring last season. I'm trying to be nice here. They scored 91.6 points per 100 possession possessions. That's 24 points less than the Washington Mystics, who won the championship last year. There's a huge opportunity for scoring in Atlanta. Tiffany Hayes, who's been with the franchise for eight seasons, has only made one All-Star game and has been their leading scorer. She needs help. And I really think Courtney's the one to bring it. Now, this team has one thing going for it. So the roster could use some talent. They've tried to do that through free agency and through trades. But the one thing that I think they have that I haven't seen as much from the other teams is chemistry. If you've followed them on social media, and if you're not, you really should, they look like a team of players who really enjoy being together. And a lot can be said for a team's chemistry and a team's makeup that can sometimes overcome talent. Now, do I think they're championship material? 
No. But do I think will they be a dark horse that may surprise a lot of teams this season? 100%. So watch this season for the surprise Atlanta Dream. Now for the fix. The time has come for your favorite part of the show. And I know it's your favorite part of the show because I get the most feedback and the most emails about the fix. This week, we're talking about the Washington Redskins and their long overdue change of name. Listen, I know what some of you are going to say. When the team was named in 1933, it was meant to honor Native Americans, but it doesn't. I don't know that it did then, and it definitely doesn't do that now. George Preston Marshall, at the time, was changing his name from the Boston Braves and wanted to keep the logo, and the logo actually looks very similar to that of 1933, and kind of keep that type of team name. However, whether it was throughout the years or looking back historically, the name Redskin is derogatory, and it can't be used as a team name. Now, we're going to start debating all the other team names like the Chiefs and the Indians. Um, heck, we might even start arguing about the Yankees. However, let's stick with the Washington Redskins today and understand that enough people consider this as a derogatory term towards Native Americans. That alone should be enough to convince you that it should be changed. So, the good news is, the fix is easy because they've already said they're going to do it. So good for you, finally, Dan Snyder and the Washington Redskins organization. May I suggest the Washington Redhawks? I've heard some other ones, but I really like that. And I've seen a logo for it. I've same color palette. I really like the Washington Redhawks. But hey, that's not the point of this segment. It's the fix. And what are we fixing? the Washington Redskins. So goodbye and um, good luck moving forward. That wraps up another episode of Sports Fluent. We talked with World Series champ Greg Zahn. We made our NHL predictions. Jordan vs. LeBron, the GOAT, part four. We did our WNBA team preview. And in the fix... Goodbye to the name, Washington Redskins. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at sports underscore fluent.